Hey, y'all, I got a question for you. What's a piece of gear that you maybe have unintentionally overlooked in your rig throughout the years? Well, for me, it's always been guitar cables. I figured ah, it just goes from the guitar to the amplifier or the guitar to the pedal board to the amp. And if one breaks, whatever, I'll just go buy another one. No big deal. Thanks to the fine folks at Runway Audio, though, I have finally seen the light. Runway Audio is based in Nashville, Tennessee, which is awesome for me because that's right down the road. But it's awesome for you as well because Runway has the best cable on the market. And what makes it the best, you ask? Well, it has the lowest capacitance of any cable on the market right now at 20 picofarads per foot. And pretty much all that capacitance is is the ability to store an electrical charge. The lower the capacitance is, the less tone that it sucks from your cable from your guitar on the way to your amplifier. So if you're in the market for anything cable-related, whether it's instrument cables, patch cables, XLR cables, speaker cables, power cables, you name it, Runway Audio has got you covered. And if you go down to my link tree, click the link for Runway Audio. Any purchasing you will do, I will get a little bit of a kickback from that, which is always appreciated. So check out all the awesome stuff that Runway Audio is doing and pick something up to get the best tone possible. This episode today is brought to you by Stringjoy Guitar Strings, the finest strings on the market. For me, it has been the Orbiters that have been my absolute go-to ever since they've come out, and that's their coated electric strings. But if the coated thing's not your thing, totally get it. The signatures in the Broadways in their electric line, top-notch quality. For acoustic guitars, they have their Naturals and their Brights, along with the Foxwoods, which are their coated Phosphor Bonds. For all you bassists out there, too, they have the Signatures and the Rangers. Full disclosure, the link down below is my affiliate link, so if you would like to check out Stringjoy, click that link down below. Not only will you be getting the finest guitar strings on the market, but you'll also be helping out this podcast, which I greatly appreciate. So head on over to Stringjoy today. I'm not even close to the tip of the iceberg of all the awesome things that Stringjoy does, so click the link down below and check them out for yourself. Welcome back to Man the Helm Podcast. Today, Mike and myself discuss gear and a super awesome new course and a whole lot more. So buckle up and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Man the Helm Podcast. We are joined, I am joined, by my co-host again, Mike Sims. What's up, dude? Not much. Feeling good. Well, um, I figured today we'd get a little more gear focused, okay? You like gear, I like gear. Obviously. You know? <laughs> um, so before we get into some other stuff that we're going to talk about, you know, like, let's let's uh, let's kind of get into the, the gear side of things. Like, what do you what have you been running these days? What do you like to play? What do you like to use? Uh... Fender amps, it's always been kind of my main staple. I, I know I'm a Fender loyalist when it comes to these amps. Well, I, did, I mean, I have tried out a couple new ones, and I'm really leaning to the uh, Sir Bella. Oh yeah, played one at uh, Guitar Center recently, picking up my wife from the airport, and I was like, 
Now, what can I do for $2,000 and yeah, walk dude. away with this? And I even got to try a JC, a JC60 course. Oh, a nice. course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, for 700 bucks, I'm not going to lie. Especially because I'm getting more into this jazz-oriented playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does everything you want it to. And I was like, you know, as much as I'm not a big fan of Solid State, as far as guitar amps go, it doesn't have... It, Solid State, for me, always has like that... It's just doesn't have the sweetness of a tube amp. Sure. In my sure. opinion. No, I know, just... I know some people are solid state loyalists and tube loyalists. And I was like, I'm not a loyalist to either camp, but it's just for my preferred sound that I'm looking for. I enjoy my Fender tubes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Fender is like such a, a workhorse of an amplifier company. You know what I mean? And if you want like a pristine clean tone, Oh yeah, you're, 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 uh, that's that's where most people begin anyway, man. Well, it, it's a good foundation, right, to build upon, and that's running to a plethora X3, which okay. mm-hmm. was my resolution to deal with all the random effects that I had in a previous band to try to dial up. I was like, I don't want to have to have a flanger, a chorus, uh, a vibrato a trim. I was like, I, I was like, it's so easy just to click a button and I can go from one board to board 29. Right. And, and so on and so forth. And everything's already dialed in and it's done. And it's good. Uh, running from that is my EP boost, which is always the boost pedal that surprises me most because even with that thing turned all the way down, it's almost too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Running from that is my sub machine, which is a fuzz and sub sub boost. Hang on a second. I don't know why someone's ringing my doorbell. I'll cut that part out. Ring my freaking doorbell. One time is enough to ask <laughs> me if you want my yard mode. No, I'm completely capable. Anyway, are you sure? I'm I'm positive. I mean, I can mow your yard. It's going to take me like a week to do it, but. <laughs> No, but uh, okay. So we're going through your rig, uh, submachine. I think is where we stopped. Right? Yeah, the submachine, which is, I love Gary Clark Jr. Okay, and yeah. it's, it's it's a staple in his yeah. rig, so I definitely went with that. <coughs> then I run to JHS Sweet Tea, which is by far my favorite distortion and kind of tube screamer sound. Absolutely, perfectly built in that Charlie Brown. I just absolutely love it. Running next to that is the Vertex Steel String Supreme, mm-hmm. which is an absolute workhorse, If especially if you're looking for either kind of your lows boosted, your highest cut, or the opposite. Mm-hmm. It does that. It does its job very well. It's perfect. Nice little filter to go through. Running next to that is a... Bob Burt, Tube Screamer. Okay, yep. Uh, fantastic builder. I think he's in Arkansas now, but he was in Pensacola for a long time. Does custom pedals for every single one. Every single one has a different paint job. Every single one has its own little juice to it. And absolutely love it. Won one for years and years and years and finally bit the bullet and actually finally got one right. from him. Uh, then I run... 
a tidy whitey. Oh yeah. Everyone always is like, why do you have a pair of underwear on your board? <laughs> I'm like, it's a compressor. Shut up. Leave yeah. me alone. And then final is, I think it's called the Empress. I don't know. It's got some weird, crazy writing on top of it, but okay. it's a, it's a distortion pedal. Okay. Yeah. And then of course, everyone's favorite boss tuner. Oh which, yeah, man. It's a staple, dude. Oh yeah. I have, I have three. Yeah. <laughs> they, they sit on multiple different boards mm-hmm. because as far as a tuner goes, I was like, you know, everyone is hard line about tuners. And I was like, I don't care exactly what it does. As long as it shows if I'm in tune or out of tune. Dude, That's all I was I care about, about to say, man, I mean, I know some people are like super into the strobe stuff because it's more accurate. I mean, I get that. But at the end of the day, man, I'm not going to, I just want something like you said that I can have it's on. I can make sure I'm in tune. And I, I mean, as a good guitar player should, I'm always checking if I'm in tune. When there's yeah. a break in the song, I'm checking if I'm in tune. So tuner, regardless of what you have, is always a staple that needs to be on the board. Or you can be like me and start a song and then realize halfway through that you're in drop D instead uh, of standard. Well. And then you get to look at the other guitar player along the way who's just laughing and giggling at you. <laughs> hey, man. It happens to the best of us, okay? And then running, in, running from that, either I'll have the... Um, hand-wired vintage wall by Vox or just run it straight to my guitar which is its own beast in its own mind uh it is a warmoth kit of a Stratocaster that I have modified within an inch of its life yep yeah when I first got it it had uh I think it was Texas Hots and a burst bucker out of Mm. an older Gibson Mm -hmm. and now it has a stack plus it's all seymour duncan stack plus uh i think it's the vintage hot or something like that in the middle and then it has pearly gates which nice yeah is a consistent pickup that i can that i keep going back to or even have a epiphone copy of a black beauty that i shove three of them in dude they're killer yeah nothing like buying a $600 guitar and shoving $600 worth of pickups. Well, in it. that's, that's kind of the point of that, right? You, you got a, you got a parts caster. That's the point of it, man. You know, you get something that is the body and neck relatively inexpensive and you know, that's what you're going to do. You're going to make it your own and you're going to make it wild and you can, cause it doesn't matter. You know what yeah. I mean? Or, or, and then you can be like me and go, Hmm, I don't want a hardtail bridge. I'm going to put a Bigsby on it. Yeah. Why not? And then the first time I drilled the holes for the Bigsby, I realized I was about an inch off. I had to redrill them. <laughs> Happens, man. I was like, I was like, it's weight relief. Leave me alone. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, there it is. We're just taking some weight off the strap body. That probably, how much do you think it weighs? Uh, probably like right at six pounds. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think it's around there. But I have, I got that guitar. I think when I was fifteen. Okay, yeah. And I have played the absolutely absolute bejesus out of that guitar. It has been kind of my mainstay, my go-to. It's a guitar that people have offered to buy and I'm just like, no, there's no price. I was like, you could you could drop a million dollars, but the fact that the guitar has been with me every step of the way, it's gone through so many different modifications. I've ripped parts out, I've soldered new parts in, I've put new tuners on. I was like, the only thing it's never gotten is a refret. And I yeah. was like, it probably needs one, but whatever. Yeah. I was like I was like, it has a natural a natural neck that is 
I was like, people will pay, you know, five, four or five thousand dollars for a worn in neck. And I was like, well, I got one here that originally I got for 200 bucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wore it in. That's the difference. Yeah. See, I think that's, that's part of it too, man. Cause you know, you find those instruments that really click with you and that becomes like your workhorse, you know, and I've, I've had the same thing with that Les Paul, man. And it's just like, I've had people offer to buy it and it's just like, dude, I've had that guitar since 2017 now. So not as long as you've had that, but it's been at every gig. I've yeah. played it so many times. And it was one of those situations where I was in, I came into money for it, had never had that much money for a guitar. And I was like, dude, this is the opportunity. I need to get like a solid guitar. And going to Sam Ash up in Indy, I literally, I think I picked up every guitar off their high-end wall from the PRSs to the Fender Custom Shops to the Gretches to the Gibsons to uh, anything that was on the high-end wall. And I told the salesman right off the bat, I was like, dude, I promise I'm not wasting your time. I am going to buy something, but I need to find the one that clicks with me and plays the best. And that was the one out of those probably 50 guitars that I played that was the best, you know? And it's so funny because I've taken it to people and, you know, the common thing with Gibsons is everybody's like, oh, G-string, you know, always going out of tune. This one doesn't, you know? Well, I think that especially, especially now, now I remember early 2000s going to go buy an instrument pretty much if you picked up a squire i can find an end table that had better woodwork than, sure than, yeah, yeah than yeah. what they were doing yeah and and everyone has this stigma about like guitars made in china or korea and it's like yeah but you also have to realize that a lot of these people have now 20 25 30 years of luthier experience that someone that's graduating from the guitar institute that was there for six months can't do half of what this person can do and it's like i was like you know you're finding more players kind of going hey you know i want the specific sound but i don't have that specific budget yeah and pick up like a telly classic vibe Mm -hmm. or you know, a PRSSE or an Epiphone. I have, what, three Epiphones in my collection, and they play better in some cases than my actual Gibson Les Paul. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to, man. It's it's, it's individual thing. Like, so if you pick up a guitar and you immediately gel with it, that's going to make you want to play that guitar more. It doesn't matter what's on the headstock. It doesn't matter what the wood is. Now, when I say that, all the gear snobs out there, yes, to you, it does matter. And that's great that it matters to you. But what I'm saying is very general and, and like, you know, not, not being specific. If, if you're a kid or, or uh, somebody that's been playing for a while, dude, I can't tell you how many classic vibes in the past, like, two or three years that I've picked up that I'm just like, dude, this thing. If I would have had this when I was 12, 13 years old when I was starting off playing, this would have been amazing. For that kind of price. You right. know what I mean? But I also understand, too, um, with the guests we've had on the podcast, man, I've talked to some builders. I've talked to some guys that are, you know, top of their game. And if that's something you want to do, it's awesome to do that, too, because now you can get something. You can talk to the individual making the guitar and be like, I want this, this, and this. And to get so specific and nitty-gritty into the details, you know, and you can have that. Problem is, those guys got to eat, too. 
Yeah. And, and you got to be able to support them for that level of craftsmanship they're going to deliver to you. you well, know? it's like we've we've talked about it before, like especially like the stigma with the Klon. Mm-hmm. You have a Klon that, you know, people are selling for six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000. And now you have the Klon KTR, same guys making it. And people are getting them for, I think it's like 250 or 300 and putting them right on reverb for 800 to a thousand bucks. And it's like, while that's fascinating and it's cool that you have the specific gear, it's like a Wampler Tumnus does that. There's a lot of pedals that do the that, thing. that thing. Yeah. And it's like, you know, oh, I bought this course and I spent $800. It's like, yeah, well, they've made the course pretty much the same an analog course they've made it the same for like the last 30 40 50 years yeah so as far as you're going to be a gear snob it's like that's fascinating i'm so glad that you got you know an overdrive special that you spent $150,000 for that's awesome here's the problem if you're going to have insurance cover that you can never let it leave your house. It can never go anywhere. It can never do anything. It will, uh, I was like, you know, it's amazing that it's with you. And especially if you like originally had one of those amps, that's awesome. Or if you're really into certain players that use them, I mean, everyone Clapton, Steve Ray Vaughn, you can name off probably a hundred guitarists. They probably have one, but as fascinating as that is, Better gear, more expensive gear doesn't make you a better player. Right. I was like, there's a certain, I always say, if you're first starting off, that four to $800 range is a good starting point because you're going to get a guitar that is typically better made than something that's in that 300 or lower range. And you're going to find something that is easier to play. I can't tell you how many times I see $100 acoustics fly off the shelves around Christmas time. Yep. And three months later, they're right back in the same window. Yep. And it's like, you're literally starting with the hardest thing that you could do, which is a bad acoustic guitar. Right. And everyone's been there and everyone's played on something that, you know, you tune it to standard and the bridge that is barely hanging on to the guitar is already bending up and the nut is cut weird and it has action that looks like it's, you know, might as well be the Golden Gate Bridge because it is so high up there that right, th- there's right. no, there's no way that you're even remote. <laughs> Here's a slide. Have fun for Christmas. Right. <laughs> Become the next Derek Trucks. Yeah. Maybe we'll buy you something new. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, even with those super cheap guitars these days, they are so much better than they were 20 years ago. Well, like I said, you have builders. Yeah. And cnc machines right. which make yep. everything cheaper and easier for everyone and it's like you know there are some great amazing builders that still build these things pretty much by hand yeah uh i've seen uh there's a company i think that's in italy that i've seen a couple guitars come out of and they're the most beautiful fascinating have unique body lines unique styles Unique pickups. Everything's unique. But not everyone is running around with three, four, five grand in their pocket to spend on just a guitar. Right. I was like, now these companies are starting to focus on the beginner, intermediate, 
slight, you know, starting to get into that more advanced market, but at a sub $1,000 cost. Right. And, you know, I, I'm horrible about buying guitars. I'll pick up a guitar and I'll, I'll play it for a couple minutes and I'm like, Oh my God, I love this thing. And then I get it home and I absolutely hate it. <clears throat> and Ibanez with a Floyd, <laughs> uh, great guitar, just not for me. Right. And, you know, you can even say the same thing about amps because we're not in the age where you need the hundred watt full stack Marshall. Right. You can even like, I've seen Buck Cherry on stage. They literally have five to 10 watt amps covering the entire stage. And they're picking one for specific songs or a blend, like a wet, dry kind mm-hmm. of mix with those amps. And it's like, you know. And most likely a direct in sort of thing. with like direct a proce- in processor. or you're having people that are built or like victory builds pedals that are really just amps. Right. Yeah. Uh, orange there there's there's a bunch of things and that's the most important thing there's not one right way and there's not a wrong way you you finding your sound and you finding what you enjoy playing and what guitar feels most comfortable for you is the most important thing because i like thinner necks but at the same time i don't like sgs because to me the neck is too thin most of the time Mm mm-hmm I love tellies, but tellies are going to show you how good of a player you really are. That's unforgiving. It's absolutely unforgiving. And it's like, you know, I typically sit in that strat land. Yeah. I've bought multiple like Les Paul style guitars. I finally got my Les Paul after years and years of talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. And it's like, but it sits at the house most of the time because it's not my overall sound that I'm looking to get. Mm-hmm. And if you go spend, you can go spend $10,000, but I guarantee that if you haven't put in the time, the sweat equity, you're, it's going to sound like really great gear, but really terrible player. Dude, a prime example, man, is, you know, you got the guys, um, you, you go to any like clinics or maybe like a, a special event where there's, you know, a, a super awesome player that's going to be there. You know what I mean? And maybe they let you let people run through their rig. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you could, you could sit down at the exact same studio with the exact same gear. And that, what was just, uh, what would be that Eric Johnson recorded cliffs of Dover at. Right. And you could play the exact same notes that he plays. No sound, nothing like it. It won't be the same because that's, that's what's so important is because he understands how to utilize the best gear for his sound and his way of playing, you know, and that's what I love about gear because everybody like, yes, this pedal, like let's Tumnus again, the pedal is a clone of a Tumnus or a clone of a Tumnus (laughs) clone of a Quan, right? (laughs) It's a Quan clone, KK, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. There and there are a plethora of sounds you can get out of that pedal. You know what I mean? Like you can use it as you know that typical, run it in front of a a, a dirty amp and just like you know, run it relatively clean and just boost up some stuff, give you some more mids or you know cut some stuff. Or you can use it just straight as an overdrive. You know, it's awesome. I love it. But everybody's gonna have a different take on that pedal, and everybody's gonna have a different opinion on that pedal as far as what it's for their playing. Well, I was running that Bob Burt, which is 
pretty much just a tube screamer copy. Right. But I was running that into the Tumnus mm-hmm. and running the Vertex after that. Okay. And I, that was, I was like, man, this is like, cause I've always, when I, especially when I was first starting off and I was really, you know, I'm always been into blues. I've always been a blues player. I've always told people like, you know, I can do the things that you kind of want me to do, but at the end of the day, I'm a blues player. And cause for the longest time I ran two TS nines. Okay. And yeah. that was uh, two TS nines and a wall. That was my sound for yeah. the longest time. And that's all I cared about doing. I didn't care about the newfangled, like an OD1 or... You weren't going S- buying one of yeah. those pod kidney bean things, were you? No. I hate <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding, dude. <laughs> like, I remember getting a Line 6 amp, and I thought it was the most amazing thing ever until I heard a recording of me playing it. And I was like, well, two things wrong with this picture. Number one, that guitar player sucks. And number two, <laughs> that amp is terrible. I hate it. And it's like, it, as good as as good as good Line 6, for, for example, and not calling them out, because I think the way that they've expanded their market and they, they stopped trying to be like, it's as good as Tubes. Mm-hmm. And now they're like, this is us. This is Line 6. And... Yeah. and <clears throat> That's the most important thing is you just need to be you. You don't yeah. need to be something that you're not. You're not tubes. Even uh, whenever they did that collab, I think it was with Bogner, and they had the line six oh, yeah, into yeah. the tubes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had tubes, but it didn't sound like it. It There's a reason why you can find those amps for like, you know, 120 bucks on reverb. Mm-hmm. It's because as cool as they are, they're more of a novelty and less of what players are currently looking at. Yeah. I will say the higher end version of that amplifier, the like 112 and 212 version, those things were sick. Yeah. You know, the, uh, I think those were the ones they always reminded me of a box that went to 2077. Okay. They had like the black, they had the black top with like the rat, the red, uh, like poked grill, mm-hmm. and yeah, they were cool. And you know that's that's awesome. And if that's what you want, and that's that's the pinnacle of where where you want to be, like there's nothing wrong with that. I know people that still run the same, you know, twenty watt Gibson amp that they got in 1960. Right. Like it's not any. There's no. Again, there's no right or wrong. The most important thing is for you just to be you. And if that's what your sound is, then you rock with that sound. Because as many people will tell you that that's wrong, uh, white stripes have run weird outside the box setups. I was like, Polyphia runs weird outside the box setups. I was like, there's all kinds of bands that you'll look at. If you go and look at a board, I guarantee you're going to find like, a super course by boss or a trim by boss, or I've even seen a Julio pedal yeah. on a board. Yeah. And it's like, but if that's what you like and it hit the spot that you needed it to hit, that's all that matters. Dude. One of my favorite guitar players, man, John five, man, he runs into Marshall amps and he has like three boss pedals, a super overdrive, I think an octave. And I think he had that like dimension C yeah, or whatever it yeah. was. And no one can tell me, well, I mean, they can, I mean, it's their opinion of it, but 
Phenomenal guitar player. Sounds great. Without a doubt. And, and he always sounds good. You know what I mean? Like his tone's on point. And I mean, granted, yes, he's running with, you know, an American custom-made telly. And some, you know, Marshall, I think he runs like 900s. Yeah, JCM I think 900s. it's JCM 900s. Okay, so that's an awesome rig right there. But, you know, to be able to boost those things with relatively inexpensive pedals like a Boss OD-1, like, you can't say that it's like a cheap pedal and it doesn't sound good, man. They're, they're I mean, like, once again, you can, it's your opinion, but you just need to know how to use it, you know? And when I think about using pedals, it, it, it's not like this is how you have to set it. You have to have it in the room with you and going into your amplifier with your guitar going into that pedal. Well, you know? and I was checking out uh, a course that you were talking about, the uh, course from Wampler about... The Wampler Blueprint. Yeah, Distortion Overdrive and Beyond. And it made... It was fascinating to see someone, especially someone that knowledgeable, that really understands not only what these pedals do, how you can set these pedals up, but someone that also knows the inner workings of the pedals. Cause obviously some of them were his pedals. Some of them weren't. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that he was talking about using a compressor into an overdrive or an overdrive that goes going into a compressor to either squish everything together and then overdrive the signal or vice versa. And, you know, I think that, if people realize what the pedals that they currently have on their shelf could do in the right context, then, because if, if you go and buy a TS9 for, you know, you can buy the mini, I think for like 99 bucks or whatever sure, it is. Sure. Maybe 150 depending or, on what they're at or whatever, but yeah. Yeah. They're, they're all over the place constantly. But if you go buy another pedal that is similar to a TS9, but it's made, by some boutique company or some more of a in-house operation for 400 bucks, it's still a TS nine. Right. And it's like, unless that pedal is doing something, he even mentions this, unless this pedal is doing something that is like, you know, kind of has a change, has a switch to boost the mid more or, you know, boost your high, lower your, or low the, ah, Avoid loading the low low end. God, I was going all over. We're that. picking up what you're putting down. But you know, a lot of these manufacturers, and even like talking with, because I have a guy at Zounds and Sweetwater that constantly call me and like, oh hey, yeah, hey, you you, you want to spend some money? <laughs> Nothing wrong with them. I enjoy working with both of them. And, but you can. I've contacted. Seymour Duncan before Mm -hmm. about a certain style pickup or in my talk box fiasco of all of last year, uh, went through four talk boxes. All of them had issues. Really? Yeah. I had everything from like an old style where, uh, the speaker came or you use a speaker cable Mm -hmm. off the actual amplifier into the talk box and then back to the speaker yeah 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 and that one was dead on arrival <clears throat> got another one it was also dead on arrival got the talk box by mxr okay the banshee or whatever that yeah. is yeah yeah it, it, it pretty much attenuated my signal so bad to where i was having to run my compressor at full and my boost pedal at full to just 
make up how loud or how much sound that this pedal was taken off. Oh. And contacted MXR. They got it back and they were like, we've been doing this for a long damn time. We've never had this issue before. <laughs> but when, when you get to have media that is coming from all these different companies and even like like i said that course from uh wampler you get to have a true perspective on how the how this whole industry works and how you know everyone whether you're playing or whether you're making uh products everyone kind of has something from someone right right and having something that is informative is not just a corporate like buy wampler here's wampler oh oh you want wampler and it and having someone just truly honest go hey it's this pedal this pedal this pedal let me show you what it's like to shove a mega distortion into an overdrive into another overdrive and he's like that's a cool sound but oh my god, the noise! <laughs> well, yeah. So let's let's put some perspective on this. So Brian Wampler just put out a pedal course, and it's about two hours long. Um, it's through. Uh, hang on, this is good podcasting right here. Let me look up what the website is. You guys should check it out. Guitarpedalcourse.com. I'll have that link down below as well. But pretty much what it is 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 a an idea and a series of videos that he's doing where. He's showing you a bunch of different drive circuits from, well, not just drives. So drive, compressors, overdrives, uh, noise gates, you know, what boosts. Yeah. Which I don't care. And this is me being an incredibly biased because everybody that's listened <laughs> to this show knows that I'm a huge Wampler fan. But when it comes to knowing the schematics, knowing how to build circuits, and explaining that to you, he's the guy to go to. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and then when he puts out stuff like this, like you were saying, I loved how just honest and straightforward he was with everything. You know? And laid back. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, he, he, he makes – he even kind of puts a random text tag and he's like, I didn't mean tone. I meant volume. Right. Well, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. It's, it's the, like kind of what you were talking about earlier with like, you know, you're, you're trying to find the sound for yourself and be yourself. Well, that's, that's why it's, it's fun to watch him and not, not just the, on the course itself, but the YouTube channels and everything else he does. Cause he's authentic to himself. Right. He's a quirky weirdo. And I don't mean that in any bad way. That's just, that's what he is. I think, I think we all are at, to a certain extent, sure. especially, Especially when you can go into a five-hour conversation about, well, what about this compressor? <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, and I, I'm not trying to like toot my own horn or anything. I've, I've already talked about this on the show. When I went to go hang out with him that one time at his place, it was so wild to see. We didn't really get into like the nerdy talk of anything because, like, dude, I'm not going to lie. I'm not really into that. Like, I, I don't. I don't care how a pedal is made. I care what the end result is and how it inspires me to play. Like you could talk to me all day about, you know, like not inverting op amps and going into invert or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, okay, that's, that's just way over my head. And it's not that it's complicated. It's just, I've never gotten into it, but you, you saw going into that space where he works just, he is so all in to that, you know, and, and obviously he has to be, 
but um, you also see that through the content that he's putting out. It's just, it doesn't matter what the pedal is. Like what you're talking about that course, he has stuff from boss. He had stuff from Keeley, uh, you know, other stuff that he had in there as well, along with some of his other pedals, of course, but right. Well, I mean, it'd be kind of hard to not use your pedals. Sure. Especially because, you know, you got to go with, obviously based on the shelf behind him, he, he has a lot of stuff. He does. I mean, if you're looking for a certain way to explain something, and this is one of the tags I left on, uh, not the review, but one of his, because after each course gives you a survey of, you know, what questions, what questions did this answer and what questions would you have asked? And I, I put a tag in there saying, you know, while all these companies are doing this certain pedal, maybe it's like a tube screamer clone and everyone's doing this pedal and you have one company that can sell it for thirty nine ninety nine, like the old Behringer. Or oh, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. If, if they're still making them, I, I haven't seen them in a while, but like Behringer or whatever versus like the Bob Burt one that I sure. have that yeah. he does all the stuff for. And, you know, not only are you looking at, does it do the thing? And if it does, but you also have to consider the quality of what is inside because there's, especially depending on the electronics behind it, but there's a lot of ways that pots are made and capacitors and pentiometers and, and so on and so forth. And, but if I step on it and it cracks in half, then did I really spend my money worth? Right. Did, did I get my money's worth? Well, let's, let's think about that from a, like, so like the, the heavy hitters in the pedal industry, like you're, you're a big JHS guy. I love JHS as well. And I love Wampler and, you know, I'm sure you're a fan of Wampler, probably not as obsessively as me, but you know, they make good stuff, right? Yeah. Well, I mean the, the most Wampler pedals, pedals I've ever seen is on your board. <laughs> well, so, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I never really got a chance. And it, and again, you know, based on, based on the fact that guitar center was gone, like there's a guitar center now, but for like the last six years of me being in Pensacola, there was no guitar center. There was only a company called blues angel. Oh, okay. that was it. The next, the closest guitar center was in mobile and mobile. Oh yeah. That's and, a- and like, if they were even open and the next closest one I think was like in Tallahassee. So a three hour drive Either, or an hour drive. Yeah. So it was like one of those things where you're like, whatever, you know, I don't care. I don't care about that. And it's like a smaller company like blues angel, because they just have the one location, you know, you're not going to see. I mean, I never saw JHS while I was there. Yeah. I saw a boss. I saw some Keeley, uh, Vox, you know, electroharmonics and i was like that's really all that i can think of off the top of my head or like maybe some random line six thing but you know you didn't get into all these other builders that are doing some amazing things and doing it with their own take on xyz it's not just a one for one like you know yeah i am a jhs fanboy obviously i i've already ordered something else from them which took me about four seconds after the video dropped. (laughs) (laughs) But at the end of the day, like the reason why I enjoy their pedal so much is because I, that, that sweet tea 
was a refurb that came from Zounds, and it was in the desert for over a year. It got transported back from Kuwait in God knows what condition because I lost an entire box worth of my stuff. Oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Lost the guitar, lost a couple uh, stands, lost half the other half of my PA system, and obviously never heard from that ever again. And it's like, you know, I've never had issues. And that's the biggest thing. I, I think that's one of the biggest things other than the sound is if I'm going to have issues with something, I really don't want it. Yeah. If I'm going to have to sit there and play, you know, let me move this wire two inches to the left because if it goes two inches to the right, everything cuts out. And as far as like what he talks about, kind of circling back, but what he's talking about in the course, I understand the electrical side because I work on satellites. Yeah. That's my, well, military job. And so when using like an oscilloscope, like I perfectly understand what he's talking about as far as because everything we deal with is waves. Yeah. It's all RF and IF. Mm -hmm. And while that's not necessarily the same as sound waves, waves are waves. Right, right. I was like, doesn't matter, doesn't matter what beach you go to, there, there's a wave. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, and coming from that standpoint, you know, having to send a signal to outer space to bounce back to another spot of the earth and come back, you're having to look at how, if that wave peaks and where it peaks and is it, is it starting to fly off? Is it starting to distort? Is it starting to overdrive? Are you using at that time close to a million watts of power shooting at something that has 10 watts? Right. <laughs> you could easily destroy anything they have. It's like ACDC versus some person chilling in a bar with an acoustic not plugged in. <laughs> One's definitely going to win. Right. And it's not the acoustic. Right. Now, well, that's what I like about the course, too, because, you know, he, he gives you all these different scenarios that you could possibly run into. And obviously, he can't cover the plethora of all the scenarios. You know what I mean? No, I mean. that That's the thing. Like, if you wanted to be nitpicky, sure. Would I have liked to maybe seen maybe an AC style amp in there to hear? Because an AC style amp is going to react way differently to a tube screamer or a Quan style circuit or really any sort of compression or overdrive as well, you know? Right. Well, I mean, he even mentions, you know, this isn't, it's not meant to be music gear history. Right. So, I mean, yeah, you can sit there and you can, you can nitpick to death, but it's more of an overall, here's how this works. Yeah. And doing it and, I think the longest video I saw was like maybe 11 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you're not just going to breeze through it like I did because I was, you know, I was up till 2 a.m. and uh, But I was, obviously I was engaged in what I was watching. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing. If you make it engaging, you make it in bite-sized information, it appeals more to everyone because... I'm not giving you a two hour lecture that you have to find the pause button to move on with whatever you got going on in your day. 
Well, and a lot of a lot of the stuff that he's bringing up to, and I when I was watching it, um, it's very. I, I can't remember how many times he says it. It's a lot. You know what I mean? He he talks about you as the individual, like getting your hands on it. Because like when we talk about like gear and pedal, ex- like pedals and amps, especially, you know what I mean? Like we can sit and watch a YouTube video and we can hear how it sounds, but you can't feel how it sounds. Well, you can't feel how it sounds. And just because this incredible player was playing this piece of gear. Right. Does not mean that's what it's going to sound like when you get it. Yeah. Cause you know, like, for instance, there's there's certain pedals that that um, and he talked about it too in the course was just like some of them they have a little bit of a, a almost like a give to it you know when you're playing, but then some of them you know like more like I guess a more higher gain pedal doesn't really have that same thing you know yeah. it's, it's a completely different animal, and the way you need to approach that is is completely different too as far as running into your rig because I mean if you're looking for I mean, let's just say if your favorite guitar player is Dime Bag Daryl, you getting a KTR is probably not the best idea for you. You know what I mean? You need something with a real quick attack, something really, really heavy, a yeah. lot of drive. Well, a, a Fender tube amp's not really going to get you there either. Right. But that's what I'm saying. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's, that's and I and I almost I almost I don't say I hate a lot of things, but the marketing for some pedals. And it's not prevalent today. It was real prevalent back in the day, like in the early 2010s. Uh, like like uh, Kurt Hammett came out with a, a pedal, right? And it, it all was a tube screamer, you know, for yeah. the most part. But the way that, that you would perceive it, especially as a young kid that's super into Metallica, is I plug this pedal in, I'm going to sound like Kurt Hammett. Or everyone's favorite metal. There you go, too. Or the grunge uh dod or whatever it was yeah that, you know what i mean yeah yeah all those dod effects that came out and it's grunge funk rock pop it's like all right that's fascinating or even like the boss stuff that they came out with like the crossroads or the uh the brian may signature pedal or whatever like yeah. i don't mean to like it they didn't sound good well and and the thing is is so many people either run straight like they're getting their drive from the amp. Yeah. They're like dimed marshals or it's a Soldano on its, uh, uh, I think it's the crunch setting or drive setting, whatever. Obviously, I don't have a Soldano. So. Soldano, if you hear this, I would like a SLO 30, please. Yeah. <laughs> you can give me one too, but probably not after what I'm about to say. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like, very few people are running straight from guitar to amp and, sure. or they're running, you know, they're not, you're, you're not going to find too many rigs where it's like, Hey, I have this pedal, a tuner and rig. Yeah. You know, and while you don't see some of the insane boards, cause I think it was, um, I want to say it was a guitarist with like five finger death punch. He had two, boards that were like eight feet long yeah covered yeah and pedals and it's like you know first of all jesus christ (laughs) (laughs) and second of all i feel really bad for the roadie that has to load that or your tech yeah or your tech having to set that up but it's you know we're we've kind of moved out of that and we're kind of getting back into more of the simple rigs or everything is rack mount yeah and 
you know, again, if you don't have $4,000 for an amp, there's no way you have $10,000 for the rack mount Yeah. of, of the same amp or all the different effects. But if you're running generic rigs or, you know, like five, maybe five pedals, four pedals, six pedals, somewhere in there, that's typically like what I typically see. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm more complicated because I got to run more than that. But most pedal boards I see are like between like six. Yeah, that's fair. But it's how those pedals are interacting together that makes someone sound. If you take if you take Steve Ray Vaughn's sound and you say his sound is from a tube screamer, you're a hundred percent wrong. Yeah. It's he, part of it. He it's part of it. <laughs> yeah. But you know that that steel stringer in the background was moving a hell of a lot of weight. And that guitar that, you know, he beat nearly to death. And what to the point that he had to retire it, and that's when you started getting into the the white fender and the red fender that he was playing a lot more than number one. You know how, uh, what's his name? Willie Nelson's guitar trigger trigger yeah is alive is a testament to the tech that works on it because there's that thing has so many holes it i was like it's patched jeans at this point yeah well and that's what i liked about uh part of the course is like you're stacking and you know your tone stacking and, and figuring out how pedals interact with each other and for me that's one of the best things you can do with like any drive pedals or, or heck man even compressors you know like stacking compressors and how ha- and you know you kind of get into this like weird territory though because it's like you, you have all the opinions of the internet of what people say is the right thing to do. Right. The right thing to do is whatever you think is right. Whatever makes you want to play and whatever sounds good to you within reason. When I say this, I have played with so many guitar players that still for some God awful reason, scoop the entire mid range out of their guitar. If you're listening to this and you're one of those guitar players, the guitar is a mid range instrument. We are not fighting with the bass and we are not fighting with the cymbals. For the low and high end, you are a mid-range instrument. Stop cutting the mids. Might sound great in your bedroom, but for the love of God, if you're in a band scenario, stop it. Yeah. Well, I mean, any time that if you take an amp that you've set up for your plan use and take it on stage, you're going to drop out. And he even mentions the about lowering the gain. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he plays one where it's all the gain. And literally, I'm listening to it, and I was like, okay, that's like maybe one guitar, maybe two. Because I wasn't, I was actually not even, I wasn't looking at the video. I was just listening to it. And then, like, he plays the next track with the gains lowered. And you can hear the double track. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's been, it's been a constant argument. Especially teaching any or teaching new guitar players that first get into pedals or first get into, you know, a line six. It's the first knob that goes up, and I'm like, you know, a gain is one of those things that just because you keep going with it doesn't make it better. Yeah, you're you're adding, you're adding things that are like so. There's like for people that don't know there's always like a sweet spot for for you as an individual on like an amplifier or a pedal or something or a guitar right 
And when you find that sweet spot, that's really where I like to, to add to now. I have that sweet spot on the amp. Well, okay, I don't want to touch the amplifier anymore, so what do I need to do? Well, I want if I want to have a little bit extra dirt, I need to have an overdrive. If I want like full-on distortion, I need to get a distortion pedal, but I need to add to, that's the point of like, that's what I love about that course is, is how he talks about the adding to and how it affects how going, you know, an overdrive going into a distortion or a distortion going into overdrive or a compressor into distortion or vice versa. Like the, the plethora of ways that you can get around these things and have, like you were saying earlier, the interchangeability of pedals and where they go. Yeah. Does a wah after a distortion pedal sound good? It might not for you. Is there an application for it? I guarantee you there is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because all you're doing is f sweeping a filter, you know, and you can do some cool stuff with it. I wouldn't recommend you always do that because it sounds a little weird. Or you can just be just Primus, me. yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> but th that's just my opinion, right? I prefer my wad to be usually the first thing in the chain. That way it's affecting everything else after it. You know what I mean? I don't want a distorted uh, any pedal, really, to go into a, a wah and still have that signal that then is filtered, then out. You know what I mean? Like I, I yeah. want it to, I want the wah to be at the front. Same with like compressors and fuzzes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I want it to be at the front to yeah. make sure it affects the rest of the chain. Well, it's like typically like the distort the distortion pedal I run and the tube screamer I run are outside of the compressor, or the the compressor is behind them in the chain. Mm -hmm. But the reason why is because typically when I am running these two pedals. I'm not using a compressor anyways. Right. Because the distortion pedal is already already has yeah. the compression it has compression built into the pedal. Yeah. Like I said, I don't remember the name, but it's it's built in. And the tube screamer, I'm typically running that along with the JHS side or the sweet T side of the tube screamer. Okay. Yeah. So I'm running both of those. Now the compressor going into the sweet T is pretty much my normal Sure. My normal chain because running into the Charlie Brown is what I enjoy. I enjoy the most out of it's the most en enjoyable sound that I get out of that pedal. And again, it running to the submachine. It. It's just whenever you find exactly what you want to hear or what you're trying, what you're trying to do musically. It's hard to get you out of that rut. But yeah. it's also helpful that even if you even if you know everything that a course is talking about, there is still knowledge there left on the table for you to engage in. And there's a discussion board on there. There's po that you can post to it. You can ask every single person that's in that course that that has taken that course or has already taken it, and you can. And it's and it's moderated by someone also. I believe it's moderated by Brian himself. I think so. Yeah. Again, it was like two a.m. No, <laughs> but you know, engaging in a community and learning from people that are from all over the spectrum, whether you're first getting into that intermediate stage or you've been touring off and on for the last 35 years, you can learn something from everyone because whether you're young or old, you have completely separate experiences, but you also share experiences. Well, I'll give you a prime example, man. I, the re I love gear, 
but I don't get into the nitty gritty aspect of gear because my main focus is playing guitar. Yeah. So I don't have enough time to get to where I want to be on the instrument and be disciplined with a, a regiment of playing and also dive deep into what components are being used in this particular pedal. At the end of the day, I don't care what components are being used. If it sounds good, but that's, I think it was Josh Scott that said that if it sounds good, it is good. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it, and I would also say like one of the biggest thing that drives me nuts is just because you have a ton of gear doesn't make you sound better either. And because my, my opinion, and I had to learn this through other things other than guitar, but it, I learned this the hard way. Sometimes it's so much easier to buy the thing you want, the thing you definitely want. You know, if I have, if I'm saving money and I'm going to go buy myself a Mustang or I'm going to go buy a house or I'm going to go buy a Les Paul or I'm going to buy whatever, you need to probably go buy the thing that you want and the thing that's going to make you most happy and the thing you're going to enjoy the most instead of buying, well, I could have bought that, but I bought this Epiphone. Nothing hating on Epiphone because I have, like I said, I play them. I play them live too. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care what's on the headstock. I just want it to do a certain thing. But if you buy that Epiphone and then you're like, oh, dang. And then you buy a lesser Gibson, like, just like a special yeah, or a, a classic tribute or something yeah. or a classic. And then you're like, well, dang, it doesn't really do the thing. And then you buy a standard and then you buy an access or an R nine or, you know, something, the thing you wanted to begin with at the very start of this. Now you have several guitars that at the end of the day, doesn't matter what you do to It's like that Epiphone that I modded modified into oblivion. At the end of the day, it's still a $600 Epiphone. Yeah. It's not it just because you add, about a thousand dollars worth of stuff to it. It doesn't become a sixteen hundred dollar. It, it's not a sixteen hundred sixteen hundred dollar guitar. If anything, I've probably made it less because I've beat yeah, it up I, to oblivion. I, let's let's be nice about this, man. You put some awesome pickups in it. I could see you selling that for a hundred dollars more than you sold it or bought it for. You know, that's that's that, and that's being no. Nah, I chip I chip the body. Well, well, what I'm <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, if it was in pristine condition, I mean, yeah. you're. But yeah, like you said, you're not gonna get the money like so that's that's what well, I, it, and it was never the intention the, the exactly. intention was to get the thing i wanted and enjoy what i got because mm -hmm. i never w wanted to buy a seven thousand dollar black beauty now if one fell out of the sky into my hands of course i'm absolutely keep it. or you know if all of a sudden i'm making ten thousand dollars a day sorry honey but Guess what I'm going to Here, buy today? Here's our new baby. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. But it was never the intention to go buy that guitar. I wanted that guitar, that platform, yeah, and me to experiment in how I wanted it to sound. I knew I loved these pickups, and I was like, I'm going to shove three of them in there. And I was like, I did something so goofy, I had to call Seymour Duncan and 920D because... They were like, you want to do what? With what? <laughs> You're nuts. And I was like, well, too late. <laughs> too late. Well, th that's the thing. And that's what I think is awesome with like that, that course, just to kind of circle back one more time to that, is where he's looking at stuff 
And that's kind of the overarching thing of it, right? It's it's to get it, experiment with it, see what you think about it, and go from there with what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like he's not saying anything in that course of if you want to play blues, you have to get a blues driver. If you want to play rock, you have to get um, a Wampler Pinnacle. You know, there's yeah. none of that. There's none of that. It's language. not a marketing spiel. No, it's it's a it's a truly honest take on how he views pedals and how they need to go into each other out of each other and everything in between it's it's an honest awesome course so i'd highly recommend it to anybody that is like like i said i'm into pedals i love gear i learned i well i don't want to say i learned a lot because a lot of stuff i already knew I th- I'm thinking about pedals in a completely different way now. Yeah, and I think that's the most important thing is just because just because you know something doesn't mean you understand it. Right. And just because you have under you have an understanding of the gist of it, you're learning something from someone that has an insane amount of technical knowledge that even if you could spend 100 days with him and I guarantee you would know a thimble full of what he knows. Yeah. So I, the, the fact that he is willing to take his time though, to give you this information, that's what I love about a lot of these larger companies. Cause you're, you didn't used to have a whole lot of that back in the day. You know, for instance, like with the JHS show, you have Josh that's coming on and he's giving you everything he can possibly give you on a certain topic. Same thing with Brian, same thing with all the other, like a lot of big manufacturers. Now that's what they're doing. They're, they're giving you all the information you could possibly want. And they're being honest. It's fun. Well, it's like, I mean, even like the bigger stores like Sweetwater, Zounds, Andertons. I mean, I can't tell you how many times like every time Andertons comes out with a video, I'm watching it. 100%. And it's like it, I have picked up so many different things because of, you know, Pete or Rob playing it and me being absolutely floored and what it can do. And yeah, I mean... I ended up stumbling upon JHS because of Andertons. Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even know who Josh was. Yeah. Now I do, but it before it was just, Hey, I was like, I like this. This sounds really good. Got to try it. And the first time I actually got to really play on one was when I ordered it and it showed up in Kuwait six weeks later. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, man. And it's, it's, it's funny. We'll, we'll cut. Let's, let's do that in the next episode, man. Let's talk about like the community of like, musicians and how important that is to like you know not only establishing yourself but like that 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 community aspect of it you know what i mean because it's, it's a good it's it's a good thing especially in the day and age with which we live you know what i mean so um but yeah we're gonna go ahead and wrap this one up mike thanks again dude we no will problem. talk again next week sounds good to me all right check you guys next week